Okay. And then um, I'm just going to do my intro, a quick, uh, two quick ad reads, and then we'll just, we'll just go. Sounds good. All right. So let's see. Ready? One, two, three. Welcome to Macroaggressions. I'm your host, Charlie Robinson. If you are watching us on Iconic, Odyssey, Rockfin, or Band.Video, or you're listening wherever podcasts are served, thank you so much. We appreciate your amazing and continued support. Oh, by the way, speaking of Iconic, I put a link in the description in this video. If you are interested in checking it out for 10 days for free, uh, click that link and go see what you think. It's like the... I don't know. It's like Netflix for the alternative media. There's amazing content there. A lot of new and original content. Obviously, all of David Icke's work is there. They're making original movies, original series. It's amazing. Uh, they've been nice enough to give us a home since our show started. So we have no problem promoting Iconic. We love what they're doing over there, and we are thrilled to be a part of it. So if you want to try before you buy, click the link in the description. And uh, give it a shot. See what you think. Hey, also, thanks to our amazing sponsors. True Hemp Science has got the best hemp-based CBD out there. Uh, don't just take my word for it. Buy some and see what you think. I mean, I, I, it's, you, I cured my left shoulder issue, which is, uh, frankly, it had been a problem for many years. So I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. I just know that it does work. At least it does for me. So um, if you are in a position where you are having some lingering injuries that you want to see if this stuff will work go to truehempscience.com forward slash macroaggressions they built a landing page for us take a look see what you think see if it's right for you if it is on your way out use the promo code macro to save yourself a couple of bucks they've got free shipping on anything over 150 dollars inside the united states and i think they're making the best product out there so there's a lot of uh, cbd providers out there and um and we love true hemp science so take a look promo code macro on your way out the door and also thanks to chemical free body tim james put me through the ringer i'm not gonna lie to you man it was it was like 90 days with his talk his detox in a box is what they call it the gut and toxin detox package which i took had such tremendous results that i wound up recording a video of it just to show because i didn't think people would believe me but literally my shorts didn't fit me anymore and so if you are interested in seeing this ridiculousness you can go to chemicalfreebody.com forward slash macro and just watch the two minute video i mean the video doesn't lie um they're making the best stuff out there i use green 85 every single day i drink it every morning it's one of the first things i do when i get up um, so take a look, read about it. There's no chemicals in the products. Obviously the company's called chemical free body. You're, you we got to get our shields up. If we're going to face the insanity of 2022, you're going to need your body working at optimal, optimal, uh, capacity for, for, for what we're facing, because I don't know, I get the feeling it's not good. So if you're in the market, chemicalfreebody.com, promo code macro on your way out to save yourself some money. Well, I tell you what, I've done a couple of shows with our next guest and uh, it's time that my audience meet Doug McKinty because I think he's doing tremendous work. You can catch his stuff on Apple Podcasts, The Shift with Doug McKinty, or you can catch it in video format on Rockfin. Doug, great to see you. How are you? 
Doing good, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. I will. I wish we didn't have to have these conversations about how to fix the world. I wish the world was <laughs> already fixed and we, we could talk about unicorns and rainbows and sprinkles and things like that. But until no that day, uh, <laughs> we're going to have yep. to sort out some of this mess. And I know that you, you know, you've had a, you had a long career in radio. You have, a, a, you know, the ability to paint a picture for people and where we are right now. We're early on in, in 2022, and we've gone through two years of, I don't know, manufactured hell, I would say. I don't know if it's going to get, I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is, but it feels like things are changing yeah. for the better. It feels like things are changing for the better. That's, I hope that. That might for be now. my normalcy bias for yeah. now. <laughs> Definitely things are changing. What's your take on that? Where, where, have, you, where have you seen? We've, we've watched them pivot lately from this you know you can't say masks don't work you can't say mandates are bad you can't say all and then all of a sudden like yeah. as if simultaneously a memo came across all their desks all of a sudden it was like well okay we can do you know we'll make some adjustments to that did you get did you get um reflexively sort of uh, thrown off by that like i did well, you know, I mean, you mentioned David Icke uh, in the in the pre-show there, and uh, I think this is classic totalitarian tiptoe kind of stuff. I mean, they pushed us to the point where we've got the Canadian truckers. I could actually even feel in my local area that some of the local organizing finally was actually getting together, like um, enough of the different little groups that have been complaining. I mean, initially there'd be like five people I could get together with. And we're like, you know, do you think this is all BS what's going on? And, you know, I went to a meeting um, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, we have a lawyer that works for children's health defense, California here. And he was actually starting a local organization. And there were 40, 50 people at that meeting, you know, ready to start kicking some ass. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, well, have they pushed this one as far as they can go, you know, and now they're going to let off some steam, um, maybe even get rid of these, all, all this vaccine passport talk, at least for the time being, uh, until the next thing now. And now the news cycle just shifted over to the Ukraine. That's what drives me nuts is that people coronavirus, you know, yeah. it's that was yesterday. Today's Ukraine. Let's talk about Ukraine all the time. And it just shocks me that people uh it's like the general public follows that mainstream narrative so much that they it's got to be like jostling to the psychology right <laughs> one day it's everything's coronavirus and everybody's scared out of their mind and then the next day it's the ukraine and everybody's scared out of their mind and i don't know i'm you know i'm looking towards this potential uh rate hike by the federal reserve that seems to be in the works and the effects that that's going to have. So it seems like to me, an economic thing uh, could be the next one, you know? So glad to have a couple weeks off here maybe. And I, I really hope they do lift some of these travel restrictions and, and uh, some of this, these vaccine, all this vaccine mandate talk uh, for now. And that maybe gives us some time to take a breather and, and figure out what the next steps are. I'm hoping that they push too hard with the coronavirus thing and that people, I mean, I think a lot of people actually started to really question the, the mainstream media yeah. um, just because they push some of these narratives so hard when there just clearly wasn't that much evidence and scientific evidence that, uh, you know, things like the vaccines are safe and effective. I mean, right. where does it say that the vaccines are transmiss uh, stop transmission, the vaccines are 
you know, going to stop people from getting sick. And then two months later or a month later, the CDC is like, well, you still have to wear a mask if you've been vaccinated. I mean, it was just enough confusing messaging that people started to be like, you know, maybe what I heard on NPR this morning isn't exactly accurate. And I'm going to do some of my own research into this. Um, so I'm hoping that it's kind of funny. We have a metaphor in Tai Chi about pushing too hard. Um, and, and I think that maybe they, they, I'm hoping that maybe they've pushed so hard on us with this one that, um, people can actually really wake up to this totalitarian tiptoe that's clearly been taken to the next level by this whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Tai Chi, so let's keep it martial arts for a second. And let's talk about the fact that, you know, there's a judo component to this too, using someone's momentum against them yeah. and the, the, the push here of the, um, COVID narrative managers, the media, um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Welcome Trust, all these groups pushing, pushing, pushing so hard. And you, it's almost like, you know, you, you make one step to the right and get out of the way and they just fall flat on their face. Yeah. You know, it seems like we've, we've been pushing back against them and pushing back against them. And then what we finally decided is, Hey, you know what, if we ignore them and we pretend, you know, we, we take away some of their power, let's right. just step out of the way and let them just fall flat on their face because it seems very, it doesn't seem organic. It seems very forced, very coordinated. The, 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 the talking points roll out all at the same time, whether it be, you know, vaccines save lives and everybody starts parroting that. And then it becomes like, you know, th two weeks to, to flatten the curve. We had that and everyone's staying that. It, it seems very, you know, the messaging, they're trying to get it l lined up at the same, you know, the, the same people, the same groups in different countries saying the same thing the same way. And when you see that, you go, this seems just a little bit too yeah. organized of a, of a push with this. And then when you guys change your mind, you all change your mind at the same time. That's <laughs> right. not how it works when this is like a real organic revelation. Like, hey, you know, we've really looked into the numbers and I don't think that all this is, I don't think, I think there might be something to this that, that, that maybe these people are lying to us. And Everybody decides all on the same day that they're going to pivot and go, well, yeah, well, let's change. That, that strikes right. me as being mathematically impossible. So is it that the normies now, I mean, obviously we, we've been screaming about this for years, you know, yeah. the last two years and your audience, my audience, we know what's going on, but like the, the normies out, the people that are used to turning in to, to CNN or MSNBC or Fox and, and, you know, and getting their information that way, even they are now starting to question that. Is that like, uh, that's gotta be a good sign, right? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I think that, um, a lot of people are starting to doubt the mainstream narrative and they're starting to question what they're hearing on the cable news networks or the government news network, NPR, you know, and so they, they're starting to lose their grasp. And another thing, um, I think that all of us, maybe a lot of us in the scene have kind of started, I mean, we have this, I've been doing this psychology of lockdown series because I really caught on to, I mean, this, the, the psychological aspect, the psyop that we've been going through. And that's what you wake up to when you see that there's, it's all propaganda and it's like, well, that's curious, you know, like what's really going on. And when you can see that it is so organized and that it is so across the board, uh, there must be some kind of central authority that's guiding this whole, 
you know, this whole um, propaganda thing from somewhere. Um, and I think a lot of us have really started to realize that this is, a, is psychological in nature. It's not something we're going to argue our way out of. And I've kind of shifted my position into uh, really asking, so what is the psychology of this? Instead of arguing with, you know, with the normies about uh, the, 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 so the primary sources of the news that they're listening to compared to, you know, my primary sources or whatever, I'm really starting to kind of just start having these conversations about like, what are the, <laughs> what are the archetypes behind the belief systems? You know, yeah. like why, why are some people so uh, enamored of the mainstream media that they can't question it at all? Um, and that they can come out with these ridiculous, uh, and and conflating narratives. I mean, it's become like 1984, right? I mean, one yeah. day they just say that, the next day it's the opposite, and everybody's like, you know, shifting back and forth. And and it just gets to a place where, yeah, the average person can really start to see that like something's not that right here. Um, and so, getting through to those people, I think talking about the psychology of it gets makes makes it make sense in a way that trying to argue the facts uh didn't and i hope that the whole movement if you will i mean this is another thing that i've been thinking about um to maybe continue the martial arts metaphor is thinking about this whole thing a little bit more strategically um and how maybe i mean a lot of people are talking about just setting up parallel systems and doing our own thing outside of whatever uh, and that certainly makes a lot of sense. I mean, clearly what we're up against, I don't know, you know, I don't know that the Canadian truckers are suddenly going to make everything change and, and they're going to decide to stop doing the great reset, you know? Right. Um, so, I mean, certainly setting up uh, a parallel systems makes a lot of sense to me, but I still hold out some hope, you know, that that hundredth monkey can wake up. <laughs> right. And uh, all of a sudden, it's just like, boom, everybody's had enough of this crap. And uh, we're going to start doing some, you know, really just requiring some major governmental change um, that can actually be real. Uh, I think a lot of people at this point are seeing that the government is basically dysfunctional. It doesn't matter who we elect. Uh, it doesn't matter what policies they're promoting. Uh, none of it really benefits the common person. Um, yeah. So and what's been interesting for me, Charlie, and maybe maybe you could touch on this even, is that the, the problem is the, the conspiracy theory scene. And I'm starting to call it, I want to call it uh, populist, pop, the populist movement. They've kind of tried to take that term uh, with all the Trump derangement syndrome and the anti-Trump thing. But I think that, well, I'm just tired of calling myself a conspiracy theorist. Right. <laughs> and I do think that. The, there is a lineage that goes back to this populist movement um, in history uh, after the Civil War in the United States. There was a big movement against the robber barons, and they were uh, they used a lot of the same talking points that we use today. You know, the government's corrupt. These rich people have taken over. Um, we need to include a silver standard talking about sound money the same way that a lot of us talk about the Federal Reserve today. Uh, and they were essentially 
uh, quashed after the 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 modern propaganda about it is that they succeeded and the antitrust laws were passed and then they, the rich people were never a problem again. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but we all know that, you know, the rich people stayed really rich, even with the antitrust laws and the Federal Reserve was passed and the and then the foundation, the tax exempt foundation system which to me then was super pivotal because after that, those guys could freely engage in social engineering tax-free and that, and so you're looking at, I just did an interview uh, about the, the history of progressivism, which oddly enough was funded entirely by these tax-free foundations, which is, you know, so you think you're a progressive and you're fighting these rich guys, then why did the rich guys fund it? And why have they promoted it for the last hundred years? Right. Um, it's like when the, when you find out the, who the Cokes or brothers are financing, it's like, right. it's like, wait a second. It's like NPR and these groups. And you're like, they're taking money from these, these people. They're, right. Aren't you supposed to be, aren't they supposed to be the enemy? It's like controlled opposition, you know, don't well, worry, sprinkle some money around. It's funny that you bring that up because um, I, I was going to get into this idea of, of getting into this whole conspiracy theory world or the, the populist movement, if you will. It's like herding cats because so many of us, I can't believe how many arguments people are getting into about things like germ theory versus terrain theory mm -hmm. or... I mean, you know, what are the classics now? I mean, even the flat earthers and the round earthers or the the uh, um, uh, there's just a lot of issues. The aliens, you know, people who believe the UFOs are aliens and the people that think that they're it's all, you know, uh, military tech that's dis mm -hmm. disguised and, and uh, they're going to fake the UFO invasion, the alien invasion coming up and. And it's all it's like whatever rabbit hole someone has gone down, they think they've discovered the truth. And if you don't agree with them about this issue, then you're just not awake and you haven't figured it out yet. You know, yeah. and I mean, it's like, come on, people like how many once you've woken up to the propaganda that's on the TV screen every night, then aren't, we're good to go. Right. Let's stop this. Yeah. Let's figure out how to stop it. I don't care what you think about aliens or, or if the earth is flat or what you want to do with your body and your healthcare treatment, you know, yeah, like it's, and, and I don't know why. I mean, I think people just have such a tendency to want to be in conflict that they can't see, like, there's no way we're getting out of this without a really big tent. And so, you know, if, if you're not, if you're interested in, in, in fracturing the tent and dividing, then you're just playing their game. I mean, the yeah. divide and conquer thing is we talk about it all the time. It's right in our face. The left, right paradigm drives me nuts. It's been driving me crazy. <laughs> well, if they want conflict, we're in conflict. The people yeah. at the top, uh, the predator class are trying to destroy us. Exactly. So if they want to conflict, like we can argue with each other about all this stuff. And I'm not saying that those aren't even interesting topics to right. get into all those things. Those, those for sure. But yeah. if I were to rank them in terms of if prioritize them in terms of what we need to focus on in order to stop the more immediate threat, which is these maniacs are trying to create a one world government through the use of medical fascism, then, then I think that's the priority. We can focus on that. If you want to fight and if it makes you feel like you're alive to be in a fight, we're already in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> you can fight these people all day long. That's and right. And one thing that you, you mentioned early on was talking about the psychology of all this. I found it interesting that in the UK, when they announced the lockdowns, they didn't have medical doctors come out and announce the lockdowns. They didn't have epidemiologists or anything like that, infectious disease experts. They had psychologists come out. 
yeah. and announce the lockdowns because of course they're the ones that understand the human reaction to having your rights taken away and they would theoretically be in a position to explain it in a way that would make it sound less authoritarian and so they're like well who are we going we're going to bring in someone and and science science them to death with like virus statistics or are we going to bring in somebody that understands how the mind works and will convince them that this is their own idea and that's right. for their own good and that <laughs> that for 14 days to slow the curve or whatever the hell it is you know i i found so to have an understanding of psychology which of course they do <laughs> they know well what, that's and that's how just the it. reactions yeah. are going to be we don't we're at a disadvantage because right. we barely even understand how we why we you know decide to do the th stupid things that we do on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis we certainly don't understand uh, evolutionary game theory and stuff like this they do and so when it rolls out in a particular way or they use buzzwords or they're all using the same language or that is not accidental. Of course, that is by design. And these these very smart people, obviously, I think working on the wrong side of humanity, but 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 intelligent nonetheless, have figured out that there's a way that you can control the masses by using language, yeah, and 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 manipulation of their uh, thoughts in order to create a situation where they voluntarily go into their own homes under the you know because they are a good person in their heart and they want what's best for humanity like we like we do you know but they but they have they've used they've weaponized psychology and directed it at us and i'd say the vast majority of people are unprepared for an attack like that yeah that's exactly right i mean you know what you said about this being a class war that's just end of story like it's yeah. a class war all the rest of it i think we until we can stop these really 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 rich people from controlling our behavior uh what else do we have to argue about and then um these very, very rich people have spent a lot of money uh, on figuring out how to manipulate the masses. And this kind of gets back to, again, having a if we're going to fight this, if we are going to do that, the, our strength is in numbers. And what they know is that that's what we got. We got the numbers. And that's why they spend billions and billions of dollars learning how to manipulate the masses and engineer the masses so that we convince ourselves you know, to stay down. They know how to manipulate people's emotions. I mean, I've just been uh, actually starting to do more writing, started this blog called The Populist Papers on Substack, where I'm kind of delving into this because uh, they do a fantastic job of convincing people that they're helping, uh, they're helping out by following orders, that they're doing the right thing. And so they're, they've learned how to manipulate people's that that part of us that wants to be a good person mm -hmm. and they've convinced so many people they've tapped into that part of it and so it's not like i can even be like angry or upset at some of these normies or my progressive friends that you know i know where they're coming from and they truly believe that their point of view is is against the rich and helping the common person and they have no idea that they're being manipulated on this level this subconscious level that goes so deep and has even been going on for generations now um that it's just it's difficult to understand like the way forward i think the way forward is 
to start to really understand what is happening to us in terms of the psychological war and and figure out the way out from that angle. Like I said, the the logical conversations don't work. I mean, I've tried that for the last 10 years. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and I mean, I and I've been shocked that I mean, I'll, I'll show somebody a peer reviewed scientific paper. I, I've been just amazed over the course of coronavirus. I just read uh, an article out of the Brownstone Institute, 400 peer reviewed scientific papers now saying, you know, the lockdowns didn't work. Um, there's on COVID earlycovid19.com, there's 1,300 peer-reviewed studies about different, different uh, early treatment protocols that help, that they're not mentioning any of these. And, and these people are convinced that the science says we've got to do the lockdowns. Everybody's got to get a vaccine. That's the only way out. So the science doesn't say that at all. But you show them the science and they can't even see it. You know, they're not going to read it. They're not going to look at it. They've been told they're not an expert, so they can't understand it. And Fauci is the expert, so do what he says. Just amazing, the, the psychological tools you know, has, that have convinced people not even to look into it and make choices for themselves. Doesn't it strike you as having a religious component to it? You know, it's got this maybe even a cult-like component where, uh, absolutely. where, where, where there's only one person who is allowed to speak to God or in this case, the science, and that's right. Fauci. And he's, you're too dumb. You're never going to figure this out. You don't know science, right? But he does. And so he's going to go on high and he's going to, he's going to get the message from on high from the science. And then he's going to come down, he's going to disseminate this to us. And then we're going to do what he says, because he has that direct line to God in this case. So, and then, you know, I've talked about watching these people come up and do, you know, give a speech and the lady with the two pumps of the Purell and the carefully taking off of the face mask and the folding it up and the putting it there and then two more pumps of the Purell. And then, you know, and then she gets in and I'm like, well, they've even got the rituals. You know, they've right. got the ritual component to it as well. It's like you've got the mask, which is like, I don't know, like your religious, you know, it's like your cross or your yarmulke or whatever yeah. you've got. And so I, I feel like they they have hit people in a part of their brain that maybe is interchangeable with religion. And they've said, well, listen, this is the this is and much like what, what you're taught when you're young, the first sort of explanation about why we're here, how this all works. It's well, it's God. And God said this and God did this. Yeah. And here's the book that God read. And you read that when you're a kid and then you believe that because it's the first story that's entered your head. And so it's got pole position. You know, it's, it's the first, it's the most, it's the story. And who was the first person to give us the story on COVID? It was Fauci. It was the religious leader giving us this first story. And so for a lot of people, that's all they needed. I got the story. That's it. I'm good. I'm not looking for explanations. I'm not looking for variations of this story. I've been told what it is. I know what it is. Don't tell me anything to conflict with that because that's cognitive dissonance and that's painful and that's mm -hmm. associated with all this denial that they're probably also suppressing. So again, leads us back to the psychology of this. It's like the psychology of medicine, the psychology of the media, the psychology of religion. It's like yeah. all of these things crammed into one. I tell you what, Doug, this would be the most fascinating topic to study if it wasn't so goddamn serious right now and so <sighs> dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a direct correlation. I think religion has been a tool that's often been used by, I mean, when you talk about the patriarchy, this is a this is a topic that that I enjoy. I think you know, but I'm trying to trying to publish a book right now that kind of focuses on on what is patriarchy and matriarchy and these different kinds of systems. And and the thesis of that book in part 
um, was that patriarchal mythologies are used to create this this uh, this kind of domination psychology, the archetypes of it all. And, and I've been, I want to do, um, I just read a book by a Jungian therapist. I want to have him on my show and start talking about the Jungian archetypes and, mm-hmm. and uh, how all of these interrelate because in his book, which was written, this book I just read uh, was written 20 years ago. And he's already talking about, you know, progressivism, uh, scientism, materialism, as being these modern archetypes that have repressed what he describes as the old gods, the, the pantheons, the pre-Christian, the pre-patriarchal pantheons that included all these different aspects of our psychology and invited us to like delve into our subconscious and, and heal from these um, emotional traumas and provided these stories of the different heroes and, and how they went through this process. Uh, whereas the patriarchal religions do exactly what you're talking about. They typically put a, a religious figure in between you and creator mm-hmm. and the, you know, the experience of, of being alive. I've even been kind of likening it lately. And I think maybe this is, there's something to this that it's your own, your own critical thinking. I mean, that's really what it is. Your critical thinking, your ability to make autonomous choices for yourself. That's your connection to God. Yeah. Uh, and it's a direct connection and they're intervening and saying, no, no, you can't use critical thinking for yourself. You know, only Fauci can, can think for you and you just have to do what he says. And this is exactly, it's exactly the same as, you know, saying the Pope is between you and Jesus and you can't just talk to Jesus and have your own relationship. You have to go through uh, the priest and through the Pope. You can't um, look at these WikiLeaks documents. These are illegal. You have to go to us at CNN, says Chris right. Cuomo. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what are the, uh, even the psychological experiments uh, in the 60s and 70s about people and authority figures? I mean, it is actually amazing. Somebody puts on a white coat and tells, you know, turn up the dial, you know, and press the button and you can hear the guy screaming in the other room. And, you know, what was it? I mean, some huge percentage of people would just keep turning up the dial if the guy in the white coat told them to. And it's like, wow. I mean, how do we live in a society that, uh, that has bred human beings that really can't think for themselves on these basic moral levels. Um, And that goes back to my whole, I, I really feel like we've been, I, sometimes I think like this technocracy thing started to happen And it became, I mean, you know, we've been kind of, it's been in the background for a long time. And those of us who have been doing this research have have seen this coming, but all of a sudden with coronavirus, it got accelerated so quickly. And it was like, oh my God, um, what are they doing? And I kind of got it in my mind that they're going through this huge shift and everything's changing. And, you know, these really rich guys are really taking control, but I, sometimes I take a step back and I think, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. This is just them upping the game a little bit because 5G just came out and they can build these robots and they've been working on this brain machine interface. So they're just up in the game, but we've really been under an onslaught for 120 years. I mean, again, that I think that it was just a crucial time period when they when they passed and they started the tax exempt foundations because suddenly these guys these rich guys had a had a way to spend billions and billions of dollars tax free engaging in social engineering and you see the public education system grow out of that. Yes. 
you see modern journalism. Uh, I just found out last week that Walter Lippmann, who I'd known was a you know an early propagandist, he and Edward Bernays, um, but he's called the father of modern American journalism, which I hadn't heard before. Which means that I mean, in 1925, the the guy that was promoting openly promoting propaganda. Uh, the manipulation of the mass mind through journalism is is the father of modern journalism. Like all journalists are following in his footsteps. And just, I mean, it's when you go back to their original documents back in the 20s, you just clearly see like they've been breeding propagandists for a hundred plus years now. And they've been breeding uh, through public education um, people who don't have these critical thinking skills and instead have been taught just completely ingrained and they use the psychology the operant behavioral conditioning of guys like bf skinner i mean they just talk about it like we're going to train these kids like dogs to do what they're told whenever we blow the whistle they come running for their bowl of food and it's such a good point too because you're getting it from both ends you know you're getting on the on the one end you're getting it in the school system yeah like you said they ring the door they ring the bell class ends right they, they line you up to go out to lunch you know you you go reset they the bell rings at the end of the day oh it just mimics like a factory of course which is the reason why the rockefellers and carnegie set it up that way so it'd yeah. be a nice pipeline straight in but they also limit your possibilities of how you you know, you're not taught how to think, you're, you're taught what to think. You're taught, you know, give me the answers that I want on the test. I remember this specifically from a, having a, a um, I took, I was a marketing major in college and I was in an advertising class. So it's a huge, it's very important that I do well on this, on this midterm. Cause I'm in like one of my core classes and, right. I, and I worked really hard and I took the midterm and I left the midterm after I was done, I went back and I was talking to my roommate and he goes, how'd you think you did? And I said, honestly, man, I feel, I said, I've never said this before. I feel like I got a hundred percent. Like, I feel like I got them all right. And, and so I was feeling pretty good about myself. Um, I, the next time I went back to that class, uh, there were, we were, you know, giving us the test back and the results and I got a 54% on the wow. test. And I was like, what is going on? Right. So the class ends, I go down to the, to the professor, I'm holding my test and I go, what happened? And he goes, I was going to ask you the same thing. I go, <laughs> I walked out of this test thinking I got a hundred percent. He goes, you got an F. And I said, I didn't get an F. And I said, let's talk about this. So we went through and we went through all his questions and I gave, and I was able to explain how my answers were right. And when we got done with this like 30 minute kind of back and forth, and he was super cool about it, I must say, yeah. he said, well, he goes, man, he goes, I don't know what to say. He goes, I can't give you an F because you clearly know this. He goes, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a zero out of zero, right? We'll just throw this out and pretend like it didn't, it didn't exist. But I'll tell you what, this is what I want you to do when it comes to the final. I want you to give me the answer that you think I want. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So what I realized was that there's, the, with the exception of math, unless it's common core, there's really multiple, there can be multiple answers to, to some things. And the way we're taught, we're taught to answer it a certain way. And I felt like I had different answers to it. And, and once I explained it to him, he agreed that, that my answers could definitely work in, in, in place of his answers. But, but, you're, but he was reminding me of the core principle, which is you have to give the teacher 
the answers that the teacher wants in yeah. order for this to be marked correct. Right. And I thought, and after that, I probably, I probably didn't recognize it fully at the time, like I do now, but, but I've come to understand that a lot of educate, a lot of so-called education, the school system that we're put through is just there to teach you how to give, how to memorize and give the answer that the establishment wants. And then that's correct. And then you're rewarded for being within the establishment. And if you get outside of that with your answers, you'll get it wrong. And then you'll be labeled as a dummy and you won't be able to advance into college or beyond. So it was a, it was a real kind of, I guess, eye-opening experience to me that, that, that some of the, you know, that the, the school system is, is intentionally designed to keep you in a box, to keep you thinking about these are the only right answers. Anything outside of that is wrong or conspiracy theory or whatever. And that, yeah. and that of course, is where we are, where, where you and I have been. We are outside of the established answers. We're looking for, we're looking for other answers that might fit better than this. And, 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 but, but you're trained in school not to do that. You're dumbed down. You're taught not to look for these you know, you're not taught not to ask questions and everything like that. And then you go up against the guys like you talked about, like Bernays, right? In, in, in the media. And then the media gets you from the other angle, which is they tell you a, a false version of events and convince you that that's the, the right way to be. And so I guess I kind of understand why a lot of normies can't figure it out. Yeah. They've been getting it from both ends their whole life. You know, yeah. the media, the school system, the, it's just it's just designed to keep you in an acceptable level of uh, discussion and anything outside of that is frowned upon, or maybe even they, um, you know, make, make your life untenable for it. Yeah. If you really think about it, it's almost a miracle that some of us have fallen through the cracks. I mean, and, and figured yeah. it out because the, the, uh, the level of psychological manipulation from, I mean, now they're calling it, they're openly calling it from cradle to grave. Uh, and they're starting emotional social learning in schools and they're, you know, they're using blockchain technology to keep track of each individual kid, or at least this is in the pipeline and then tailor every little aspect of every interaction on the computer or in the metaverse to nudge them in certain directions. I mean, it's all just psychological training and it's so nuts. Um, but what you're talking about actually reminds me of the the essay that I came out with on the blog last week. And, and this kind of grew out of a conversation I had with Dr. Julianne Romanello, uh, one of my interviews a few months back. And we talked about, um, we were, I had her on, I, I was going to have a, a general conversation about technocracy because she's been doing a lot of uh, research into what's been happening um, in her hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and then I found out that she she was a philosophy professor and um, I got into some of some of the philosophy work that she'd done and uh, her mentor, whose name is skipping my mind right now, but uh, he was uh, in into Socrates. OK, and Socrates was into this idea of dialogue. Um, and I have been, of course, frustrated, like I said, with the left right paradigm, the divide and conquer of it all. And that comes from dialectics and the idea uh, of course from hegel and marx and dialectic materialism and that's what makes the left-right paradigm comes from this general concept of dialectical logic in general which is basically if then and then the the answer problem reaction solution like right. a lot of people have, have heard and so when we go back into the days of socrates 
Socrates wanted to use dialogue with people, which is having a conversation, you know, kind of feeling people out. And then basically, and a lot of people misinterpret this, his dialogues as saying he was just smarter at using logic, the Socratic method. And that's why he defeated them in their arguments. But my interpretation, and, and this is becoming more popular, there's been a, a niche in philosophy that has interpreted Socrates this way for hundreds of thousands of years, uh, is that he was actually a little more of a trickster. What he was trying to show those guys is that my logic can beat any argument. Like all arguments are ultimately, they have flaws, they have holes. And he was having dialogue with these guys called the sophists. And the sophists were the ones who said, my argument is the best, and so I'm right. And what Socrates was trying to say was, you can't use logic like that. You can't you can't say that you're right. You don't know. I can come up with a better argument than you, you know, just off the cuff here during our conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so ultimately it boils down to this whole concept of, can you use reason to like, to impose your thinking on other people? I mean, this is the scientism mythology. Well, Dr. Fauci, he looks at all the science from all the scientists all over the country, and he's figured out the best argument for why we have to all wear masks and lock down. And so he is the science and we all have to wear masks and lock down. Uh, and it's just like Dr. Fauci can't prove that science doesn't even really work that way. I mean, we can talk, have a long conversation about the philosophy of science like it's a great tool, like logic is a great tool. And in that essay, I mentioned the Stoics as the, the alternate example. Stoics used logic so that they wouldn't get triggered. And this gets into the psychology of all of mm. this. Like they notice that, you know, if you have emotional imbalances and somebody approaches you with a peer reviewed study that says, you know, the lockdowns aren't working, this is bullshit. And you have cognitive dissonance. I mean, I get this on social media so often. And then people freak out. You don't know what you're talking about. That's a terrible source, whatever, you know, like, yeah. and it's triggered. like, yeah, they get triggered. And so from the Stoics perspective, they wanted to take a step back. Uh, there's something called the trivium method, which used to be used as the foundation of a classical education prior to public education, which started using these dialectical methods where, you know, the teacher's the authority and they give you their argument and you have to give their argument back to them. And you're not actually engaging in dialogue or learning how to critically think. The trivium method is where all the logical fallacies come from. Mm. So the idea is that a healthy person can have a dialogue with somebody else. And, you know, we have the list of the logical fallacies here and we have our conversation. Oh, you know, hey, it seems like you you've slipped up and you're building a straw man here. Let's continue to to refine our our belief systems together. Like like dialogue becomes a way for a person to help. Um, and then reason itself. This was the stoic perspective helps you develop character, personal character. It's not about imposing your belief on somebody else. Like logic's just not good enough to do that, <laughs> but it is good enough for you to not get triggered, take a step back, analyze things and, and make healthy personal choices for yourself. Um, and it's just wild. Like if, if you separate these two different ways of looking at reason, you have completely different universes of reality. Like, you know, like at the end of yeah. the day, like our whole the patriarchal system is based on this dialectic and our, our political belief systems. And now the way we get taught in, in schools and 
I mean, the whole thing is based on this dialectic and we all, and even the arguments that we're getting on, like the arguments between the flat earthers and the round earthers or the germ theorists and the terrain theorists. I mean, these people are still stuck in this, you know, my way of thinking is right. I've done better research than you and I'm right and you're wrong. And a lot of times that even comes with this moral, you know, you're a bad person because you're wrong. Right. (laughs) Which which is like, no, I'm just a guy trying to figure it out like everybody else. You know, can we help each other along here? Do we have to always be fighting and in conflict? We need to figure out a better way of thinking where we can interact without getting triggered and actually start to realize that like, hey, you know, if, if we think really clearly about this, then what these guys are doing, what the rich guys are doing, what's the actual truth of the situation? I think it just becomes obvious. Like, you know, you don't have to argue. You don't have to convince somebody else of the obvious nature of of the fact that rich people get together at the World Economic Forum and at the Bilderberg Group and they and they work really hard and spend lots of money on how to manipulate you into thinking like they want you to think. Yeah. Well, the it's interesting now because you take that old school philosophy, you know, the Socrates, the dialectic and all of that. And you talk about logic and information and processing that. Then you add in the new component, the social media platforms, which, which populate your feed. The, what comes out on your feed is different than what comes out in somebody else's feed. Right. So in that sense, it creates almost like two different realities for somebody where, where I'm getting the information that fits my worldview, they're getting the information that fits theirs. They think they're being logical. I think I'm being logical. And when we come together, it's like an impasse, you know, it's like a digital divide, which keeps everybody in their own little, again, divided. Yeah. Right. That's, it's like the the new digital way of doing that where they, where they keep you, you know, on a feedback loop, getting your own confirmation bias and your own, you know, interaction with people like that from time to time, obviously some, some asshole comes in and you, you yell at him or something. Right. (laughs) But but if I were to go to San Francisco and just grab some random blue haired person off the street and say, let me see your Twitter feed. I guarantee you it would look so different. It It might as well be a different planet you know, with all the things that they're getting. And that's a devious component that I don't even think we're ready to, to uh, battle. (laughs) I know I've been thinking about it. I mean, we've all been thinking about it more and more. I mean, for, for guys like you and I, these social media outlets are our primary distribution outlets for the content that we're providing. And so it's hard not to interact on them. But on the other hand, what you're saying is exactly true. You have to wonder if the algorithms aren't creating these echo chambers so people like you and i are reaching the same hundred people over and over again you know like these things aren't allowed to even they're not organically spreading we i used to have this fantasy you know the internet came out uh we can sort of crowdsource the truth if enough people get together and you know we'll sort of collectively figure this thing out with all the new information that's coming out over the internet i mean there was a lot of um you know, real hope attached to these technologies. And then all of a sudden it's like this hammer comes down and you realize, I mean, that we can have the the blockchain conversation is another sort of classic. Like uh, a lot of us very excited about the possibility of using the the cryptocurrency and the blockchain technologies as a, as a, um, 
uh, tool for liberation and then finding out that like, well, no, actually, you know, now they're building these central bank digital currencies. They're going to be using these to collect that on everybody. It's uh, almost a disaster. So, and, and I think clearly these social, at least the big social media companies certainly were sort of a precursor to this. Like we're already in, in this little bit of the metaverse when we're every time we get on Facebook right? and they're constructing this reality that is like tailor-made just for us so that they can start to nudge us in, into whatever direction they want us to go and nudge us into the communities that they want us to create, which can either become go viral and become a popular idea if they like what you're doing, or it can get pigeonholed into the, the dungeon of the Facebook algorithm. And you, yeah. you, and you don't know the difference because you're looking at the same interface. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm uh, in that dungeon. Believe yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me about it. My stuff is getting seen <laughs> by exactly zero people on Facebook. I mean, I've given up yeah. on that. And, and I think maybe that's part of it, part, part of what they, they, they want that they, they, you know, the, the social media component to this is really tricky. I mean, it's, it's, I get it from a business standpoint and everything, right. but, but, but when you dig into the depths of, of who, who is involved in the starting of Facebook and they're uh, taking money from InQtel, the venture capital right. arm of the CIA, I mean, it, it, you, you start to go, hang on a second here. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they would love for that to go public and be worth a trillion dollars and all of that. But even if that didn't happen, if it, if, if it, was, if it just was a break-even proposition, the idea of collecting all that data and being able to manipulate people, they could never put a price on that. That's so valuable yeah. to them, you know, so... We're in a weird, we're in a weird spot where like the, you know, we're, we're the wrong, you know, these industries that we've grown up with thinking that they're beneficial to us, the medical industry. And of course it is beneficial to a lot right. of people. The medical industry is extreme. Like they, they, there's plenty of people that would say, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the medical industry. So their relationship is different than mine. Uh, I will remind people that the American medical in industry is the third leading cause of death in America. Yeah. So not you know, including I mean, just, the cancer deaths too, or if, if chemotherapy is, you know, is considered something that poisons people to death and suddenly it becomes the first, I mean, it's number right. one. So yeah, anyway, yeah, not to interrupt. Well, no, please. I mean, it's, it's so we, we've just, we've seen these industries, medical technology, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with technology. I, I'm all for technological improvements. We wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for technology. So it's not inherently that technology is bad or that the medical industry is bad. It's like a gun. It depends on who is in control of it, who has it in their hands and whether or not they're, they're um, a devious person or not. And, and what we've started to see is that the people that are in charge, at least here in America, well, I mean, let's just look at the Biden administration as an example. I, I, it, it's almost cartoonish to watch, you know, to turn on the news and see what's happening with these with these guys every day. You know, you've got Joe Biden, the president of the United States, who admittedly has a son with a history of drug problems. I'm not trying to shit on people that have drug problems. I think everybody should get treatment if they need it and get and get themselves squared sure. away. I, I'm not shitting on him for that. But you have to laugh at the fact that he also spearheaded a program that was talking about giving out $30 million worth of crack pipes to people. Now, I, I, I understand the shared needles, you know, the, the free needles and, and, you know, trying to keep that because you're injecting stuff. I, I never, I, what are we talking about here with, are we talking about 
giving like each other herpes? Like, I mean, like what kind of, what kind of yeah, right. problems are you going to get from unclean pipes? And by the way, you can make a pipe out of anything. I've watched people smoke pot out of an apple yep. before. Okay. So yep. don't, too, don't talk to me about <laughs> the need for, for clean pipes. I mean, you could smoke pot out of a, out of a, out of a, coke can if you need to and yeah i mean i may or may not have done that college, <laughs> right. but i didn't inhale i, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know I mean, there's no videos yeah good time to not have technology back then but but, <laughs> but we've got like a laughable we've got a laughable administration that that's clearly just a, a mockery of this and yet we're supposed to go out about our daily business and take this whole administration seriously in the in in the mandates of for for locking us down and all. And I recognize that Trump was involved in that too. But the the talk about the vaccine push and everything. I mean, at some point, do you think that maybe part of the awakening of people has to do with the fact that we have a person in in a position of power, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, who is by all accounts completely uh, unaccountable for what he's saying or doing or thinking. We don't, the fact that we even have to question whether or not he's really in charge. This is a, I think that this might be a, a you know, I, I hate to sound too optimistic, but maybe this is like one of the best things that can happen, right? That it wakes up a segment of the population to the fact that the people that are in positions of power are not omnipotent. They're not right. godlike. They're in fact, extremely flawed and maybe even to the point of needing to be removed from office. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation with, uh, Mark Crispin Miller the other day, Dr. Mm. Dr. Miller from NYU, who's been persecuted because he's had, he did a propaganda class and he started showing his students, you know, here's, here's the propaganda uh, on CNN. What do you think? You know, here, <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, eventually he, he got this backlash because he was uh, invite inviting his students to use their own critical thinking skills and look at primary source material that wasn't being included in in the dominant narrative. And that might just radicalize you and realizing that you're watching propaganda, you know, <laughs> so. Um, but uh, one of the things he agreed with me about, which I thought was kind of fascinating, was that I have suspicions that the election in 2016 was stolen. Uh, he had actually written a book about the 2004 election way back. And mm -hmm. so he's been involved in election integrity. That's what woke him up to being like, why don't more people care about this? Why, you know, oh, well, the media is like really just propagandizing people. They're not trying to get the word out. And he had gotten turned on to the, the voting machines like right. since 2000, 2004, you know, and and this is a tough one for people to get. Um, there are certain issues that people just they don't want to look at it. And I think the voting machine one, once you get to this place where you realize, I mean, to my mind, there there's back doors to these voting machines. It's not about the hanging chads. It's not about the mail in ballots. I mean, sure, there's shenanigans that are going on there, too. And we need to look at it all, but nobody's looking at the voting machines. Uh, and that's where I think the bulk of, of uh, the election fraud can take place. And then um, knowing that you have to basically question every election, like they're just appointing these guys. I mean, if, if nobody's really double checking these voting machines and there are wireless back doors on these things, then they're appointing these front men. So what are the possibilities that they actually stole the election for Trump in 2016 and used him 
in order to create this whole Trump derangement syndrome, this anti-populist thing. I mean, you know, if you think about it, guys like you and I, before Trump, we were on the internet. It was all good. During Trump, we started catching the heat. Now it's like all of our stuff is censored. I mean, they're, yeah. they're blatantly out there calling us misinformation agents. And it's like, well, Trump was really useful for that. And then Q, you know, were these all planned psychological operations yeah. from the very beginning and they put this guy in the front just to be the populist devil that they could paint as a neo-nazi and then that way all of us you know he sucks in the conspiracy theorists into voting for trump and he's going to be on our side and then uh and then they paint us all as neo-nazi i mean was that all just part of the plan it's like huh i saw and a guy get you gotta um, go there i saw a guy get um put on the witness stand in a video. And I don't know if you saw it. it. It seemed like it was a very popular video and I can't, I wish I had more details of it because it's going to, it's going to sound pretty vague, but it was a guy that was a computer expert. He was, he was more than a computer expert. He was a, right. He was an expert on voting machines and he was, he was put on the stand and he was talking about this in the, I think the judge was questioning him. He's going explain how this works. And it's like a 10 minute video and he's explaining, he's like, I could get in there and change all these votes. And he's like, and how, and the judge was, was going back and forth. Said, would any, would there be any trace? He's like, no trace. No, no, no. And this was, I think, man, I, like I said, I'm, I, I'm, I probably should know more about this before I talk about it, but I, I want to say that this video was from at least was from about 10 years ago. So it was pre either yeah. way. It was pre 2020. I know the one, you know, yeah. the one I'm talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like he got a standing ovation when he got off the stand or something like everyone was clapping. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty uh, like unusual for a courtroom, but whatever this, this guy laid it all out. And he was saying, look, the, the, these machines, these Diebold machines, for sure. We can just yeah. go in there. I can go in there and change that. And nobody would know, you know, so, so, so it does, it opens up that possibility. I mean, of course, what Professor Miller is talking about, saying he, he got in, in interested in election integrity in 2004. Gee, I wonder why. Was that the skull and bones election? Yeah, yeah, John exactly, Kerry and George exactly. W. Bush? I mean, why on earth would you question that election? That seemed totally on the up and up to, I mean, I, I dangerous individuals. Right. With ties I, to secret societies in Yale that seed fund these guys when they get out so that they can commit, you know, so that they can, you know, perpetuate this this plan that these that these maniacs have in place. It is reasonable to ask the questions about that, about the, the about the the election integrity and everything. That's why I don't get I don't vote. I don't participate right. in this. Um, well, that's you know, what I, I was going to say, Charlie, in that election, I actually voted for Kerry. And I'm like, first of all, I basically am in principle libertarian, so I would yeah. never. Yeah, yeah. And I am like you, I rarely vote because it's like, pff, I mean, I don't, you know, but, this, but it, what it good was, is the system. But that year, the Iraq war and it was a and vote Dick against Cheney right? and it Bush wasn't a vote was for so Kerry. bad. And you could feel it in the air. Nobody liked Bush Cheney. Everybody was voting for Kerry. And when and Kerry lost, we were all like, what? <laughs> you know, like that yeah. didn't make that didn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Well, let's go even you can go even back at one election before that with, with Al Gore. Yeah. What was he promised or what was he threatened with? Right. You know, I mean, I I I have always said that that even when it was happening before I was aware of all of this stuff, I remember when that that election happened because I remember where I was living and I was like, this seems like totally fake to me. You know, the fact that Al Gore just all of a sudden up and decided, all right, well, fine, 
We're good. I, I'm yeah. going to walk away. Either he was promised the global warming scam to be all his own. You right. Make a billion dollars. We'll give you that. Or, you know, like uh, Bill Hicks says, he was shown a a angle of the Kennedy assassination from a from an angle that nobody else has seen before. And, and they just said, well, listen, I mean, yep. any questions? And so, you know, I mean, that's how this stuff works. And I, I just have, I've wondered about, I've wondered about all this stuff. So that's why I don't get so bent out of shape. I don't go, right. let's get the, you know, let's go to Arizona and get those voting machine tabulation. Listen, these people have been stealing elections for a long time. They, they, <laughs> they, whether they steal it, whether they put the, whether they staff it with both of their own candidates and then they win either way, it's all rigged, right? They just they didn't, they're, and I would suggest this, Part of it, for for people that don't say, well, maybe I don't know about that. Just think about, just look at the way the government treats us. Do they have any respect for us? They have no respect for us. Do you think that they would actually allow us to vote? And like, right. if that if it changed something, do you think that they would give us that power, allow us to to have that power? I think that they would allow us to have the illusion of that power because that creates a let me well that's just it it's like yeah. a the democracy becomes a front and that's all it is for us to argue back and forth about the left and the right and it actually has almost zero influence on what's actually going on i think i mean i i've been i think a lot about you know like what is this deep state what how much money is compartmentalized behind these classified projects and who actually controls that? I mean, you, you, you mentioned technology earlier, which is such an interesting topic because so much of our technology comes out of the military industrial complex. I mean, the la going back that hundred year period, this such important, the 20th century, I think, I mean, imagine if the Tesla technology had just been released to the public in the 1920s and thirties when he was coming up with it. And I mean, our whole world would be different. Unrecognizable. These guys, yeah. One decision. Our whole we 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 take a different fork well, in the road and who and, knows what happens. And that's the one that we know about. I mean, right. how many dozens and dozens of geniuses have come up with things? I mean, there's the story about the guy that figured out how to run a car off water. I mean, and or then, yeah, and then he winds up with a bunch yeah, of yeah. Swiss <laughs> cheese after that, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he just so fell off really, that cliff. Right. We have to question, like, I mean, if we lived in a free society, how is it that these guys have managed that to keep, I mean, they keep, they control the technology. I mean, absolutely. And who, who are these guys? I mean, that's just the thing. It's behind the firewall of, of the defense department and then classified information. And then, you know, all these free billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of really that get flow, you know, that flow through the defense department into these mm -hmm. black projects that, and who even knows about the CIA money, the drug dealing money that they've got stashed at banks all over the world. I mean, you know, I mean, they just have unlimited funds uh, and they're using these intelligence agencies and the, basically the military to, to create all the technology. And then when they decide, that, okay, we're going to let the people have this technology in this way. Then they give us Facebook, you know, then they yeah. give us 5G or wireless phones or, you know, smartphones or um, so even the way that they, they allow us to have certain technologies and hide other technologies from us. I mean, this is all huge social engineering and how 
What's the mechanism that allows them to control all of that? Like you said, it's not the president of the United States. The president doesn't get elected and go in there and say, okay, let me know all of your deep classified black ops that you're working on right now. And I don't like that one. So we're going to nix that, you know, they don't, they just don't tell. I mean, that's one of the things that I don't know. People got to realize that about the executive branch in the United States. It's huge. Trillions of dollars worth of hugeness. And how much time does one president ever have? I mean, they don't, you know, they get in there for four or eight years, probably takes four years just to learn the job. Uh, And then the next four years, and I mean, and and they only learn the job that they're allowed to know, the part of the job that they're allowed to know. Somebody somewhere, is it the cabal? Is it the rich guy? I mean, I don't know how they work it at that level, but the idea that our democracy is voting to make change that actually gets implemented, I mean, that's farcical. That's not happening. it's funny you say our democracy because it, it it just always triggers me when I hear Nancy Pelosi stand there and do a, a give a speech and she talks about threats to our democracy and I right. just am convinced that that means something different to them than it means to us. I think our <laughs> democracy is a code word meaning their scam, like their grift, whatever. Right, this is a threat to our <laughs> grift, you know. When, and, and we're hearing it going, oh, this is a threat to democracy, and they're like, mm, it's our democracy. Right, that means something <laughs> different. That's not your democracy. This is a different thing. And so then you hear about Catherine Austin Fitz and Professor Mark Skidvor from uh, Michigan State University, you know, finding the missing, you know, the $21 trillion that goes away and they start to make noise about it. And then they change the accounting standards so that everything can be blacked out. This, and that's, by the way, two of the 17 agencies that they looked into 21 right. trillion dollars. Right. <laughs> they didn't even get to the other 15. And so yeah. that much money is gone. That's enough to 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 put a it's know. just unlimited, unlimited money. Whoever is controlling the, yes. the executive branch on, on that level, whoever is behind the scenes manipulating, you know, what technology DARPA is going to work on next. Um, those guys just it's it's government has become an unlimited trough of money and resource for these people. I mean, yeah. that's that's what we all need to understand. I mean, and what I talk about is trying to just decentralize power. We, you know, let's take power from these guys and, and put it in our communities. And then we can have these political arguments on the community level. But can we all sure. agree? Like, like you're talking about, we're talking about tens of trillions of dollars that just go missing in some grand grift that somebody you know, some group of people clearly are, are just eating at this trough of unlimited supply. They can, I mean, I, you know, these are the transhumanists. They're, they're funneling all of this. Again, talking about technology, what are the technologies that they're working on? Well, they're working on total control surveillance grid. I mean, right. would, would we choose that if we got no. to choose what to spend our money on and what technologies we wanted to develop? They're working on brain machine interfaces so that we can all become part of the Borg. You know, they're working on building robots so they can replace all of us useless eaters, you know, with with uh, robots to do their menial labor jobs for them. I mean, why is DARPA spending trillions of our They're not even and they don't have to invest in it themselves they don't even have to you know like there's no risk they just control these government organizations they have unlimited amounts of money because nobody's double checking the books in these in these government organizations the president who's supposed to be overseeing it it's so vast and huge 
he doesn't even notice he or she doesn't even notice when a trillion dollars goes missing from HUD or, or the defense department, you know? Right. And uh, so nobody's, nobody's watching the, the foxes guarding the hen house and they're just like, and they're, and and they are controlling our like literal realities at this point with all that money and all of that, for sure. uh, All of that um, research that they're allowed to do. They're controlling. InQtel is a nonprofit. So, yeah. so, I mean, at least when it comes to the venture capitalists on Sand Hill, Sand Hill Road, they are interested in turning a profit. So it's got to be a good product. It's got to make money. It's got to do all these things. I'm not saying right. that that's good, but I'm just saying that with InQtel, they're not even, they don't even care if it makes them money because they're set up as a nonprofit. So they're only concerned with, does it, you know, does it, advance our goals of total surveillance, transhumanism, you know, all this, all, all these, these pushes and, and they can spread money around and it doesn't even matter if it comes back to them. They just don't even care. So, you know, one of the things that really stuck out uh, for me in the, uh, uh, the real Dr. Fauci book by RFK was his description of how remdesivir was produced. And I'm reading this and I'm just like, I mean, I knew it was a grift, but you don't realize, and this is what, as a libertarian, I'm starting to really, I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to get the left-right paradigm together. But these, I, I really feel like the progressive movement is way off base these days that people need to start listening to the libertarians um, about this decentralization of power, because people look at I mean, this progressive mythos, the essay I'm working on now, the the mythos that capitalism has created, you know, all of this horribleness that the free market has created this. It's the, the uh, nothing could be further from the truth. This isn't a free market. There's nothing free market about it. And I'll tell you the story about remdesivir. Yeah. DARPA creates, it finds the it finds the molecule that's the foundation for remdesivir goes, Oh, I think we might have a new antiviral drug here. Let's figure out what to do with it. So they go to Dr. Fauci and they say, Hey, we've got this new molecule uh, out of the military industrial complex. Uh, we think it might have application in the civilian world. So what do you, you know, what are you going to do? So Fauci gives a grant to Ralph Barrick, the very same guy who was working on gain of function experiments for uh, the coronavirus. And he says, Hey, we've got this uh, molecule here. Let's call it remdesivir. Here's a huge grant. Can you do the studies on it? And Ralph Barrick does the initial studies says, well, you know, it's pretty toxic, but it might do. (laughs) (laughs) And it only, you know, it only killed half the people in the study and on Ebola, but Hey, um, I guess we'll make it work. And so Fauci says, great, I'm going to give it to my buddies over at Gilead Sciences. So then he gives a big grant to Gilead Sciences to build out the manufacturing so that they can manufacture uh, remdesivir. Then he says, oh, by the way, rem- you know, there's this coronavirus pandemic com- coming on. And the only thing that can heal anybody from it is remdesivir. By God. So we're going to make all the doctors in the country use remdesivir. They can't use any early treatments, but they have to use this treatment protocol. If you don't do it, we're going to suspend your license. We're going to call you a misinformation agent. We're going to, you know, censor you and hammer you. So you better go along to get along. Just use remdesivir. By the way, we're going to pay 3,500 bucks a dose for it. 
and you look at Gilead Sciences, why, well, by God, it only costs them 10 bucks a dose, but hey, they'll take the profit. So Gilead had zero risk, zero investment, didn't even have to do the R&D on the tech, and then was given all, you know, was handed a, a forced market, a captive market where they were given a 300% markup or what, you know, on their profit 300 margin. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Massive. So it's just like, that's, that's how it works. That's the system guys. That's how 5g was produced. That's how our electrical grid was built. You know, that's how the military industrial complex rolls. These guys are making billions of dollars with no risk. Um, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal corruption on a level that I think most people like they, they can't comprehend it. So they, they don't, you know, they just yeah. block it out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a scary, you know, it's, it's tempting to want to be dismissive of this or to say, ah, oh, I just don't even want to know, but, but yeah. you do so at your own peril because this yeah. stuff comes back to, to bite you. You, you have to understand, even if you don't understand all the ins and outs of remdesivir and all the science about it, you just have to understand the mentality behind it, that, that it doesn't matter if they're not trying to make something that'll help you. They're trying right. to make, make something that'll make them a bunch of money. They know the right people to, that are in positions to approve it, to make it go well, through. And they've got shown over this last pandemic that if you scare the public enough and you get the media on board, they'll give you an emergency use authorization, which throws everything out the window. Yeah, you zero just, liability. Yep. Yeah. No liability. Don't worry about testing. Rush that through. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I mean, and then we'll force you to take it for out of fear of, like you said, losing your medical license, being branded as a, as a kook, uh, being forced to go open a practice in Guatemala instead of in Beverly Hills, you know? I mean, so they, they really have done a number on, on us. Um, and, and they wonder why we're losing trust in our institutions. Gee, I can't figure it out. You know, I'll tell you, I was surprised about the amount of centralization that actually exists in the U.S. healthcare system. Um, you know, I thought and I'd heard that over the last three or four decades, you know, there are a lot less independent doctors. It's too expensive. The insurance is so expensive that a lot of doctors have, have started working for these hospital systems. Right. The hospital systems are uh, in bed with the insurance companies, the insurance companies have to follow the protocols by the AMA that follow the protocols from the CDC. Um, but when coronavirus rolled out, I was still surprised that like they would say, trust your doctor, ask your, my God, the vaccines are safe and effective because all these doctors agree that none of those doctors had a choice, not, not a single, you can't go to your doctor and get his opinion. He's giving you Dr. Fauci's opinion. And if he doesn't, he loses his job at the hospital or, or they lose even, even if they're lucky enough to have an independent practice, they'll lose hospital privileges. So they can't go to the hospital, you know, in, in case of an emergency with one of their pa- patients. So, I mean, it's just amazingly top down doctors. They don't have their own opinions. And that, I mean, that's the root of the problem. The, and, and the solution is decentralization. And that's where I want everybody. I mean, if you're listening to this and you have friends that are starting to like just the doors open just to crack, you know, about the propaganda, we don't there shouldn't be we shouldn't live in a world where there's only one answer. There's always a thousand ways to skin a cat. And if anybody tells you there's only one solution to a problem, 
you know, that's crazy talk. You got to realize that we all have our different approaches and a lot of different things work. And so let's just like, when you look at a system that's so top-down oriented and nobody has a choice, but to have to do what the guy at the top of the pyramid tells them, that's a broken, that's a corrupt and broken system. You know, we need to have live in a world where every doctor is free to the doctor patient relationship and, and they're free to, you know, have their opinions and help their patients out according to informed consent. I mean, the way the, the way the system pretends like it acts, you know, right. if it actually acted that way, it would really work. Um, but it's amazing yeah. that it, it, it doesn't. And it's all behind the scenes. And most people, I don't think realize that they literally think their doctor really believes in the vaccine. The truth is most doctors probably don't want to know. They're probably not doing the research at all because they kind of have an inkling that if they did, they maybe they wouldn't go along to get along and then that would destroy their career and they have $200,000 in student debt, you know? You got it, man. This is a, this is this is one of those things that some of these doctors probably don't want to know. Yeah. They just they want to live in ignorance because of um because of what it might mean if they found out the truth. And you mentioned uh, you know, multiple answers as opposed to just one answer. That reminds me of a, a quote that Eric Schmidt I watched him on video talking to somebody about that. He was being interviewed and he said, well, when you use Google, how many answers do you get? And this interviewer goes, I don't know, like a million. He goes, well, that's a bug. You know, in, in, if we're doing it right, you should only get one answer, huh. the right answer. And I was like, whoa, yeah. that guy's in charge of AI at the <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Well, and that's the difference between the dialectic logic and the dialogue, right? And the dialogue we're having conversation. Everybody gets to make the choice for themselves. Um, it's important to use reason and critical thinking to make those choices. It's helpful. But when we go to this notion that, you know, one argument, it's like the ring of power, right? The one argument that rules them all, right? Life doesn't actually work that way. That's delusional thinking that gets you sucked into the I think even like that cult psychology or that weird religion that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode where it's like, you know, the person on high knows the answer, knows the one answer to the right. question. And we all need to do what he says or else we're sinners and we're going to burn in hell. I mean, you know, like you can apply that psychology to the healthcare system and to all of these other systems or to Google, if that's the way you want to think about it. And, and these guys that are building this technocracy, that's how they think. They want to build the quantum AI that can answer, you know, the, the problem of life. It's like, uh, oh, what was the, what was that book? Um, the answer to the meaning of the meaning of life, you know, <laughs> like we're going to get that need Douglas to get the Adams. The AI computer is going to need to go do ayahuasca a yes, couple times out exactly. in the, out in the like, Amazon before yeah. it gets anywhere near anything under of uh, of a yeah. deep understanding. Hey, uh, exactly. so you're, you're writing on Substack. Where's the yeah. best place for people to find your work? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Substack is the populistpapers.substack.com, and I've just started doing that. But the best place to go to find everything all in one package is the website, www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, and I have all of my old work, um, old podcasts, my old radio work up there. There's uh, hundreds of interviews now that, that are up there, and uh, I keep everybody updated. You can sign up for the newsletter there, or you can sign up to the Substack, and uh, you'll get everything as it gets released. So 
So yeah, that's where it's at now. And I am my personal page on Facebook, I guess. Doug McKenty has kind of expanded. It's funny because my the shift page goes nowhere, but my personal page I was able to get um, some following on. And then the Rockfin channel actually is uh, where I, I've been most successful at building an audience because of the free speech platform there. So yeah, can check it's it really out important. Too. It's really important for people if you like what you're hearing, if you like Doug, you know, if you like Doug's thoughts on this, I do. Doug and I've talked. We've done a couple, I've done your show a yeah. couple of times. We've had those, those, those weekly meetings where we were online talking about, you know, with the, the grow network and all of that, you know, talking yeah. about it's fascinating. So I love your stuff. I love what you're working on. If, yeah. for, for those, likewise. Yeah. For, thank you. So for those that are interested in supporting Doug's work, please do. This is how independent uh, journalists grow. This is how we stay uh, alive. God knows we can't count on the algorithms to take care of that. Yeah, We're going to have to do it. Share this. We're going to share this video. <laughs> we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to ask you. We're going to have to ask. We're going to have to ask you like I do at the end of every episode. If you liked what you hear, share this video yeah. or share this audio with your friends and family, because that's the only way this is going to get out there. Doug, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming by. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Charlie. All right, guys. We will talk to you later.